This week's episode, we're going to talk to Ryan Packmeyer, and we're going to discuss different and alternative methods for making the lager. You can call them a pseudo lager, or you can call them a steam beer, or even a Kolsch. There's all different types of names for this style of beer. But we're going to discuss how to make different iterations of lager-like beers using ale temperatures, and we're going to talk about some of the new ways to get into lagers. This week on Homebrew DIY. Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on this show like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the crucin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to Ryan Packmeyer, and we're going to discuss different ways to look at fake loggers or the pseudo-logger. We're going to talk about the traditional ways to get logger-like ales, or even if you want to look at the new world ways of doing them, maybe under pressure or using Kvike. So stick around while we talk to Ryan. But first, I'd like to thank 
all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week for free. I first would like to thank our newest patron. His name is James. So James, thank you very much for becoming a Basic Plus member. Your support is obviously going to help the show improve, and I just can't thank you enough. And if you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Give it any amount, and that is for monthly support. If monthly is a little too stiff for your blood, you can head on over to coffee.com, that's K-O-F-I forward slash homebrewing DIY, and you could give a one-time support. I recently just received a couple of beers that were purchased for me on coffee from Captain Futcher, and always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your support, and I'm really glad that you love our content. Another way to support the show is by writing us a review. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, or you can go to podchaser.com, and you can leave us a five-star review. Your reviews help others find the show. And the last way to support the show is head on over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and use our sponsor banners. Do some shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing. You can also buy your Brewfather software or even get a brew bag from brewinabag.com. And if you use those banners, your prices stay the same, but those companies support the show because they know that we sent you. Well, as far as what's going on in my brewery, I... I've been really, really, really working hard trying to nail the topic we're going to talk about today, which is the pseudo lager. I'm particularly using the method of trying to use Kvike yeast at really warm temperatures, but trying to get a lager-like beer. And I have to say, I feel like I've got the flavor down and things are there, but I'm just working on getting that lager-like clarity, but I think it will come. And hopefully in today's episode, we're going to talk to Ryan and get a little bit deeper into some things you could do to make that work. Other than that, I've got my brew pie remix build getting underway. I'm I know I've been talking about this one for a few weeks, just waiting for one more part, and then that one's going to be built up. Keep an eye out on my Instagram, and you will see photos of that. And yeah, just that's what's going on in the Homebrewing DIYs Brewery. Also, over at Discord, we are getting a, a little Kvike swap going on over here, and I highly recommend if you go to our website, click on the Join the Discussion, hop onto our Discord server, and we've got a, a channel on there for Kvike swaps, and I have to say that it's been pretty cool. We're, we've got some of the brewers that are on that Discord channel have some really cool yeasts, and I'm pretty excited to try some of those as well. So if you want to check that out, head over to our Discord server. Let's jump into this week's episode where we're going to talk to Ryan Packmeyer and we're going to talk to him about making the pseudo lager. I'd like to welcome Ryan to the show. How are you doing, Ryan? Hey, Coulter. Thanks for having me again. Hey, always pleasure to have you on Homebrewing DIY. Now, for those of you that don't know, Ryan is a BJCP certified beer judge. He's also a beer writer and is currently working on a really cool article for Zymergy magazine that's due out here in the next issue. And I thought he would be a good person to bring on the show for this episode because as you heard in the introduction, I'm really trying to nail the, I, I call it the pseudo lager or the faux lager. And there's 
a tradition in homebrewing to get lager-like beers. And I want to talk about kind of the old ways and then maybe get into the new ways. Does that sound like a pretty fun conversation to have today? Absolutely. Awesome. To me. Awesome. So, Ryan, let, let's talk a bit about maybe some of the more traditional ways to get lager-like ales when you don't have, let's say, a fermentation chamber set up to be able to do lagering temperatures. What, what kind of styles would you want to go for? I mean, if you're trying to make a lager like beer, uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is kind of the uh, warm lager, lager fermentation uh, method on like brewosophy, where you're basically in like the 60s and you're pressure fermenting and you're using the lager yeast and uh, you're just turning something over pretty quickly. So you're essentially fermenting it in the primary for sort of a week or two until it finishes out. And then you're going to uh, try to find a way to cold crash if you can or just gelatin it to clear it up and serve it a few weeks later. And you have a pretty lager-like beer that's actually made with a lager yeast. Um, that's the one method that jumps out to me. The other method is just to use the uh, steam steam lager yeast, the California steam lager, um, anchor steam yeast. And that's really a warmer yeast, and that gives you a lager-like beer as well. Uh, but both of those have to be done in the 60s. And for people without fermentation control, sometimes the 60s can be tough to get, especially when you're talking about internal temperature. Um, if your house is 68, your internal temperature is going to be warmer than 68 in that beer when it's fermenting. And it could be tough to kind of get in the mid seventies for a beer like that and still have it be clean. Um, and that's kind of where the bike comes in. Yeah, I, I kind I totally agree with you. When you think about the different styles of beer, when you're looking at, let's say, I have zero control, I'm in my basement and my basement's sixty five degrees. The temperature in the middle of that beer could be two to five degrees warmer, depending on the gravity of that beer, right? Maybe even bigger if it's a big beer or just a really uh, aggressive yeast. Like if you use London 3, I bet your temperature is going to be 5, maybe even 8 or 9 degrees warmer. Yeah. I, I I personally have had issues where I have my fermentation chamber set at like, you know, let's say it's set at 67 degrees and I've got it kind of taped to the outside of my fermenter. And once the heat starts taking off, it'll actually bump up a few degrees and I'll see the cooler kick on and try to bring it back down. Luckily I have temperature control, but when you think about somebody who doesn't have temperature control or you're using like the ice method and you're not really tracking your temperature control well, it could be very, very different in the middle of that beer, right? It's very difficult too. It's very hard to make something lager like when you don't have at least some idea or some sort of control. Um, Cause you want to be within five degrees on a lot of these, maybe sometimes a little bit better. And if you're swinging from, you know, 64 to 74, it can be pretty wild. So um, it's good to use alternative yeast in those kind of situations. That's, you know, again, the bike is appealing for that, for that reason. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's talk about, like, the first attempt in America to come up with an ale beer that's lager-like. And I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is a cream ale, right? Sure. Uh, you know, to me, it's like the 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 cream ale is, is like the ale version of a American light lager. And you can actually get a very crisp, clean lawnmower type beer from a cream ale, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, cream ales are very uh, neutral in profile. They're nice. Um, they don't quite have, I mean, they usually don't use the German hops and oftentimes there's a little bit of corn or something like that in there. So you're not, um, you're not necessarily trying to mimic a German Pilsner, but you get a very clean, refreshing lawnmower type beer um, that, very quaffable, very drinkable, and uh, those are great styles. Some of the neutral blondes are very good as well. Um, yeah, I, trying to make like an American blonde. 
yeah, an American Blonde Ale would be a great one. And simple to make both of those beers, right? So if you're thinking about a recipe for like a a cream ale, it's going to be two row or six row. If you're going for traditional, you're going to use six row. You don't want to have some corn in there, some some flaked corn, probably about 20% uh, 20 or less of the grist. Would you agree with that? That seemed about right to you? Yeah, I think that's about right. I don't think much more than that. Yeah. Usually, traditionally, they're made with cluster hops. If if you're if you're really wanting to go with a traditional cream ale, <laughs> you, you, you the little bit of cat piss in there. That's the that's the flavor profile of cluster. <laughs> but it's mainly just a, a light, like fifteen IBUs, very very light on the bitterness from the cluster, and usually only a bittering charge, not really a lot of aroma hops. But you can ferment a cream ale at seventy or in the seventies if you're using SO five and have zero issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually like them better than light lagers. I think when you use the adjuncts like corn um, in a light lager, the light lager, when you actually use a lager yeast, it becomes almost too clean. And it has a little bit of like that alcoholic bite, at least to me. You know, if I'm drinking like a Coors Light or a Banquet or something, like they're not bad beers, but they have this little bit of a bite to them that I don't really get in the cream ales. The cream ales, I think because they're using the ale yeast, they're a little bit, a little bit more of a mouthfeel to them. Um, they don't have that alcoholic bite. So I actually enjoy cream ale more than an American type Yeah, I do too. And and I think they have a little bit more body in general. Yeah. Just the uh, and I think it's because of the probably because of the US. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot lighter adjunct, right? If you're talking about a a, a traditional American light lager, you're looking at a, a much higher percentage of adjuncts than barley. And so, yeah, so it'll dry it out a little more. And a lot of times they use rice in those American light lagers. Yeah, a lot of the times they use rice. I mean, come on, Bud Light's right now advertising. There's only four ingredients, and it's and rice is one of them. <laughs> you're making we're making a lager. I prefer an all malt lager. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. Nope. Me too. Uh, the other the other beer I'd like to maybe jump into if you if you're looking at zero temperature control might be a Kolsch. Which for me, if I talk about the crisp lawnmower beer, crushable beer that I think has a great flavor and body. The Kolsch for me is a, a go-to, and I think one of my favorite, favorite styles to just have as a house beer. I like Kolsch's as well. I haven't actually brewed a Kolsch as far as I can remember. Um, so I enjoy drinking them. When a brewery does it well, I'm very, very happy. And that is another one that if a brewery's out lagering or they don't, they don't have the time or the capacity to uh, do a lager, a lot of breweries traditionally will do something like a Kolsch. And uh, yeah, when it comes out, it's clean, easy sipping, Good clean flavors. Um, clear. They usually yeah. just the the the, the Kolsch yeast out there just flocks out is so clear. Not a lot of places to hide a flaw in that kind of beer either. So uh, definitely have to be a pretty good brewer to make a solid good Kolsch at, a, at least in the professional sense. Yeah. So so now we're we we've kind of talked about like you know some ales you could make that are crisp and clean that are going to be in that style. But I, I, I'd like to really dive into some of the newer methods. Like, let's talk a bit about the the Kvike yeast and and what's kind of going on out there as far as people trying to get lager like beers with different strains of Kvikes. Yeah, at some point last year, personally, I was reading uh, just a random Brewlosophy article, and someone made an offhand comment in the comment section. Um, which, by the way, the Brewlosophy comment section is pretty. Uh, they could be inspiring because people do so many different creative things. And someone mentioned turning a lager around in five days with the uh, Scara yeast from Escarpment. And they said it was very clean and tasted just like a lager. And I was uh, 
I was kind of surprised. I'd heard about people doing clean beers before, but people do clean beers with USO5, and it's not it's not what I would call lager-like. So this guy was insistent that it was lager-like, and I started Googling around. Other people were doing this and reporting pretty good results with it. And I just decided, hey, I want to try this, and let's see how close to a lager this yeast can really be like. Because, you know, Kibai yeast is, you know, the Norwegian farmhouse yeast. It's known for giving off farmhouse flavors. It's known for giving off tropical flavors, all sorts of different flavors. But it wasn't known for being super clean. But apparently there's a few of these strains that uh, can ferment a, very, a beer very clean, very quickly, and at very high temperatures. Uh, people are doing the SCAR. People are doing a lot of these in the 80-degree range, and they're coming out with really clean beer. Um, so I started experimenting, researching, experimenting, brewing, so on, and... Um, Eventually, I talked to Dave Carpenter at Zymergy and uh, working on a future article. I think it's going to be out in February about uh, making clean, almost lager-like beer with bike yeast. And I've talked to all the uh, yeast labs. I've talked to, there's dozens of brewers, professional brewers that are making these beers. Some of them are calling them Norwegian lagers. Some of them are calling them pseudo lagers. Some of them are just calling them lagers. Um, and they're, they're coming out really well. And uh, there's some specific parameters you have to follow to kind of make sure it's clean. but um, it's really interesting, and it's allowing brewers to ferment well into the 70s or even 80s, ferment faster. Um, you can re-harvest the yeast in a very safe way. It's a very strong yeast, so it outcompetes a lot of wild yeast, so contamination is less of a factor. Uh, so it becomes really affordable and quick. So you turn over lagers, you know, one, two, three weeks, you turn over a lager, re-harvest the yeast, all of a sudden you don't have to pay for yeast again, and you're just getting really good attenuation, really strong fermentation. Um, so there's a lot of advantages that some of the traditional methods of making pseudo-loggers don't offer uh, that this Kibaiki is really coming to play with. Yeah, and, and let's talk a bit about some of these tricks that you might want to do to make it work, right? So one of the, obviously, I've been doing some of this experimenting with you. I think one of the first ones when we got a hold of some Scara we did together. And I feel like that beer as far as clarity ended up turning out really, really good. It did have a, a, a tinge of a, of a fruity flavor to it, but I think that that just has to do with, uh, we, we fermented it very, very warm. Like in, like, I think it was 87 what we ended yeah. up doing it at. It was on the high side. It was definitely on the high side, but for me, what are some of the, the things that you're hearing from these brewers and, and the yeast labs that you can do to really get a super clean beer with Kavike? Um, so the first thing is really the pitch rate. Um, you want to pitch. Usually the, the advice for Kvike, when people are just making Kvike beers in general, whether it's a Saison or an IPA, is you can underpitch it and it'll give off good character. So if you're trying to make a clean beer, you want to pitch it at a much higher rate, closer to like a full ale pitch rate. So you want, to, you want a higher pitch rate, and that means the yeast won't be stressed as much. It won't throw off as many flavors. It'll be a lot cleaner. Um, that's number one. Number two is some of the Kvike yeast seem to... Uh, Initial a little bit lower in pH. So you want to keep your mash pH on the higher range. So like 5, 4, 5, 5. A lot of times when I'm making a German lager, I might be at like 5, 2 with like a lager yeast. But with the Gewike yeast, you want to start a little higher because you're going to drop a little more on average. So starting at like 5, 4, 5, 5 will allow you to kind of end up in a range that's still appropriate and doesn't kind of thin the beer out too much. Um, using nutrient, both with your starters um, and when you're pitching the yeast in the beer. Uh, is really important for whatever reason. Kvike is used to being in like super harsh conditions, these farmhouse conditions, and they're used to fermenting like, you know, poorly fermentable wort, 
that's super high gravity. And so when you give it low gravity, it like goes to sleep a lot of times. So you really want to give it nutrients so it's really healthy and can really eat through uh, lower gravity work without kind of uh, going to sleep on you or before it's under attenuates. You don't want under attenuation. And if you're talking about different kinds of yeast nutrient, what what types of nutrient are there? Are they is any? Uh, I go with work? something something with DAF in it, diammonium uh, phosphate. That's that's generally what you want, um, from what I've been told. Yeah, that's, that's what I've been using and having great results. Yeah, that's what I have a bottle of and I use. I just you, you know and most most brewers yeast has that in it as well. Just look for diammonium phosphate or DAF um, in the nutrient, and you should be pretty good, I think. Um. Another thing is um, uh, using the right strain. So there are a ton of glycis, and some of them will give off fruity flavors at almost any temperature, and then some of them are way cleaner. Um, so just a quick overview of them. Crispy from Escarpment is a really good clean strain. That's the Ascara, like the new one. They isolated two of the three, the better attenuating strains from Ascara. They're not going to make that Ascara yeast anymore. So Crispy is the, the newer version of that and better version. It attenuates a little better. Um, Lutra from Omega, which is, I have a spike pilsner right here made with Lutra, 100% German malt, um, Hollertau, Tetanger House, and uh, quite clear now, but uh, it's tasting nice. So Lutra from Omega. And that's what, I'm drinking a Lutra one as we, as we speak <laughs> <Nice>. as well. <laughs> um, Oslo, uh, both propagate here in Colorado and bootleg biology make Oslo yeast. Um, Oslo is really nice. It also gives off a little bit of, kind of sulfur flavor, which is nice. And at least in my experience, I've had a little bit better attenuation with it. Um, so Oslo is pretty cool. Um, there's possibly a few others. I haven't tried Osfog from uh, Propagate. That's supposed to be pretty clean. The original Voss from Os uh, from uh, Propagate is supposed to be pretty clean. And then some people are even using uh, like Hornendal and some of those. Um, in my experience, Hornendal is too fruity better for IPAs, but some breweries are using it to success, especially if they're making more of a hoppy IPL or American hoppy Pilsner kind of style where the fruit, a little bit of that fruit can kind of play with the hops and you still have a clean beer. So, I mean, those are kind of the general overview of these. Um, temperature is another factor. Um, you've got to be at at least 70 degrees in my experience with most of these yeasts. If you go below 70, a lot of them will kind of just stall on you or under attenuate. And then some of them go all the way up to 90. Um, it really depends on which one you're using. I think Oslo stays cleaner for a little higher. Um, in general, I like Lutra in the 70s, but there's professional brewers using Lutra at 90 and getting clean beer. So it's very, uh, it's, they have a wide range. Once you get over 70, they have a pretty wide range. Between 70 and 85, I think it's a pretty safe temperature for most of these. Um, and as you dial it in and do new batches, you can dial in the temperature you think works best. Um, and the last, the last thing I would say is making a starter I think is pretty important. Getting some active yeast going for these. Um, to me, it seems like they get better attenuation when you have a lot of active yeast. So even if you're pitching a ton of dry or liquid yeast um, from packages in these beers, I've gotten better attenuation with a starter, even though it ends up being a pretty big overpitch. Um, it just seems like there's more active yeast moving around, and it, it just uh, cleans everything up a little bit more. And you get closer to that kind of 80, 82 percent attenuation which if you're making like a german, pseudo like german hellas or german pilsner that's the kind of attenuation you really want that's that dry crisp flavor really mimics that kind of a beer compared to this one was only 75 percent attenuation i didn't make a starter super clean tasty but doesn't quite have that crisp bite to be like a german pilsner 
I think at 82% attenuation. Let's let's talk a bit about you, you, finings. Do you, do you feel that you need to do gelatin or any type of finding like that to get it to be crystal clear? One of the things that I've struggled with is actually getting it to fully flock out. Uh, my Lutra is still kind of hazy, and it's been cold conditioning for a couple of weeks. I could never get my my uh, Oslo to ever clear out. It, it just was hazy the whole time. But what what kind of things could you do to maybe get a beer to be more like that crystal clear lager color? Absolutely. This is something I've struggled with as well. So this beer is clear now. It's just kind of where I want it to be. But this is like three and a half weeks out, and I didn't find this at all. So um, in talking to professionals, home brewers, um, the first thing you want to do is use something like a world flock kind of thing um, to just knock out and just get clean wort going into the fermenter. So you want your wort to be as clean as possible going into the fermenter. Um, whether you use a filter or wolf lock or something else like that, um, Irish moss, something like that. That's a good way to get started. So don't but just then, throw my hops in the boil kettle because I do that. Yeah. <laughs> Put your hops in a, in a hop filter as well. <laughs> but um, uh, another thing you want to do is uh, I like to kind of secondary crash them and then using like biofine or gelatin I think is really important. So like these beers, the interesting thing about these beers is that you don't get off flavors like five days in, like they're drinkable, but they look like, you know, really hazy, like ice beer, or Keller beer, because they don't, they don't drop out. So you really need to push them to drop out. So in my opinion, you kind of want like a five day fermentation to take and then transfer it into like a keg with biofine or gelatin and then cold crash it for a good five to seven days. And then you can carve it up while you're crashing and then you're ready to drink it like on day 10 or 12. And it should be pretty clean at that point in clear. So I think that's the way you get a really clean beer. Because, yeah, personally, they still taste really good when they're not fully blocked out, but they uh, they maintain a little bit of that slightly fruity yeast flavor until they really drop out, and uh, that's when you get that crystal clear beer. And if you're going for, like, a pseudo-German lager, that's what you want. Yeah, and, and you want to kind of one, – one trick that I love it is I ferment in kegs. And having a fl- and having a floating dip tube is something mm-hmm. that y- you can get clearer beer faster because obviously you're drawing from the top. Even even a hazy IPA eventually is going to clear out, right? If you if you if you're into hazy IPAs and you've and that's why they're meant to be drunk very fresh. If if you actually have a hazy IPA and it sits cold conditioning for three months, it's eventually going to settle out. Like and the hops aren't going to be nearly as good either. <laughs> no, they're not even close to as good, right? But because I've done that, I've I've had a hazy IPA on, and it's five gallons. I don't get through it, and then like you know, two months into it, I pour one, and I'm like, oh man, this looks just like it's crystal clear, and I have hop flakes in it. It just is gross. It's not the. These are really good for IPAs too, even hazy ones. Um, so you can use it to your advantage in some ways because you can. What I do when I make IPAs with this is I just pitch onto the hops. Yep. So I throw my work under the hops and it's done for many in four or five days. It could be done for many in 40 hours even. A lot of times it's in the high 80s, a little bit of fruit flavor. It's not, not a big deal. It actually goes really well with the tropical hops. And then you have a beer that's fantastic. I mean, drinking fresh hops in a beer, it doesn't have that same negative green flavor that you get when you use a USO5 and you try to taste it after like eight days. Um, so the Kvike yeast is actually fantastic for IPAs. A lot of breweries are using different Kvike strains for IPAs right now. Um, I, I probably compl- funny that people have drank. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the 
Kvike strains right now when it comes to hazy IPAs crush it. The, you get that like kind of orange flavor. It, the, mm-hmm. the fruit you get is a t- a touch of citrus, but not like lemon citrus. It's more of like a marmalade. It's like orange marmalade. Yeah, like orange marmalade yeah. or, or orange peel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are the kind of flavors I get when, especially when I try. I was trying to do a pseudo lager, under pitched it, got a weird, got an off flavor. I wouldn't say it was weird. It's expected with a Kavaiki yeast, right? And the off flavor I got was totally orange and. Sure. It, Orange marmalade, I think, is a, is a, a great lot of those. Uh, yeah, when you're using Hornendal and Boss and stuff, they throw out a lot of that tropical flavor that just goes so well with like a hoppy, uh, hoppy ale IPAs. Um, it's fantastic. So I've made several of those. It's like my new house IPAs, Kavike yeast, and, uh, you know, simple grain bill with a little bit of oats and wheat in it, and uh, a ton of flame out hops, a ton of 10 minute flame out, and then massive, massive dry hop that I pitch the word onto. And, the yeast and it just comes out awesome and it's drinkable like so fast well let's talk about fermenting under pressure uh, i know that i personally don't have a spunning valve so i don't do any fermenting under pressure i am a member of the new order loggers with you and, and dan and that guy is crushing some serious lager under pressure and i think that that's also a great way to kind of fast make loggers wouldn't you agree oh yeah um You'll have to do a full podcast with Dan because he knows I, all I the should, I should. of that. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan used to brew at a, a brewery called Nighthawk that started off really slow because um, it was one of those breweries where the owner tried to make beer and didn't know how. So they got a really bad reputation. Dan went in there as someone who uh, had worked at like Great Divide in the industry and then also had a lot of home brewing experience. And Dan was a professional brewer there and he really turned the place around. Um, they went under for other business reasons um, through the owner. But so Dan has professional experience. And he wants to start his own, you know, mostly lager-focused brewery. So he's been doing tons of basically test batches at his house. Um, and I visited him a couple earlier in the summer, um, probably early summer, and I got to try a lot of his, uh, a lot of his pressure lagers. He's just pressure. He's just fermenting at room temperature with lager yeast under pressure. I want to say he's in the teens with this pressure, and he's a funding valve. Um, and it was just kind of like eye-opening at how good these beers can taste. He's using the Augustiner yeast a lot. Uh, he'll use multiple generations. So he's kind of treating it like he would a brewery. And these are this is essentially his sort of test to open a brewery. And, you know, he has home brewing friends around the area that can come over and try them. And he's just improving, tweaking recipes and making different styles of lagers. Um, but I, the, I've started doing it mostly after going to Dan's because the oxygen, uh, keeping oxygen out is what appeals to me the most. So, like, preventing our pressure is great. It can, uh, they can get rid of some esters. It can make a cleaner beer. It suppresses ester formation. Um, and your beer cleans up quicker. But to me, it's just like keeping oxygen out. So you have pressure, and then you go from keg to keg to transfer, and the other keg already has some CO2 in it, and there's absolutely zero way oxygen can enter your beer. And just from drinking homebrews or judging homebrews, like one of the number, the biggest thing, biggest flaws that you can have is just oxygen hitting your beer. And it doesn't always have to taste like cardboard. Cardboard is kind of the extreme example when your beer gets oxidized. If you just have a little bit of oxygen get into your beer, it just kind of dulls all the flavors. So when you go to a brewery and you taste the beer and it just everything pops, all the flavors pop, and then you try to make the same beer and it's just a little duller. I mean, it can be not fresh hops or not fresh. A lot of things. It could be yeast that's not fresh. But um, a lot of times it's just people transferring. Even if you have a tube that has oxygen in it and you're pushing the beer from one carboy to another, 
there's still oxygen getting in your beer, and uh, it's going to be less oxygen in the commercial uh, version usually. So fermenting under pressure, transferring under pressure, and serving under pressure, there's no way oxygen gets in your beer. And you just the freshness, you'll notice a fresh difference, in my opinion, if you previously had some oxygen in your beer. So it's exciting to me to do it, uh, mainly and, for that reason. And for me, the easiest way to do that, I found it's just, you know, fermenting in kegs is kind of solves this problem. Sure. The, don't get me wrong. There are great fermenters out there. I, I think the Firmzilla comes to mind. You can ferment under pressure. It works with a spunding valve. You can transfer under pressure. It's it's a plastic fermenter specifically made for it. I've seen hacks with other plastic fermenters out there. Not glass carboys or anything like that, but like, for example, I know that the, the Speedle fermenters have a special top you can get for them that allows you to transfer under pressure. But for me, a keg is just the easiest way to go. You get a stainless steel fermenter. You don't give up a lot of volume to ferment in a keg. I I, I drop from a five-gallon to a four-gallon batch, and, and to be honest, I don't really even miss the one-gallon. So, And you don't even need to be that conservative on most beers. You can do, especially under pressure, you can do four and a half gallons. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you could just put a, a couple drops of defomer in it and you don't have problems with it right you, you, you've got you, you don't need a ton of headspace if you have a couple of little small tweaks like that cornies are cheap too they're cheap um, cheap 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 they're versatile because you use them to serve use them to ferment use them to transfer like they take up a very little space they're tall and skinny so they're very uh very economical space-wise to be in your fermentation fridge you could have a very small fridge and ferment two corny kegs at once yeah, and one thing I like to say about the corny keg is there's two methods. You can either get a floating dip tube; they're about fifteen bucks. I, I think I got mine shipped on Keg Connection for twenty. And the other one is That's you, can, yeah. And then the other one you can, or you could just take a dip tube, and you just want to take like an inch off of it so that you can you're you're not sucking beer off of the the total bottom when you're transferring. But the cool thing is, is if you have a keg that like I had a keg that was actually just a bad keg over time that happens too. And I actually took the dip tube out of that one, cut it off. And then that's my actual fermenting dip tube. And it just gets swapped to the fermenting keg. And so it, it it doesn't, it it shouldn't take a lot of work. Or if you just wanted to buy a dip tube, dip tubes are even cheaper than a floating dip tube. I think you can get one for 10 bucks. So it's very, very economical way to get a pressurized fermenter. Or even to be able to have an oxygen-free fermenter is corny kegs. I can't. I can't say they're they're just easy. And they sell they sell bigger ones too. Like if, if price isn't an object and you want a bigger batch size, like you can buy seven or eight gallon ones or whatever. Like I've seen people with ten gallon. Yeah, they have kegs. they have ten gallon corny kegs. They have two gallon yeah. corny kegs. You can you can do whatever yeah. size you want. You could do a I've one a gallon three batch. Gallon ones. Yeah, you can do a one gallon batch in a corny keg if you really want to. So it's <laughs> it's not a thing. You can do it. So. Yeah, I like it a lot. And obviously at the higher end of the fermentation, like stainless steel stuff, they have pressurized stainless steel fermenters. The Blickman stuff's great. If, if money's not an object, that stuff is fantastic. Yeah, but, uh, SS Brutech, Brew Buckets, is, all that yeah. stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Let, let's summarize here. If you were going to make a, a pseudo lager and I didn't have fermentation control, a great way to go would be with the kind of the hybrid beer, right? The 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 Kolsch or the the steam beer, maybe a maybe a cream ale, right? That that's always a great, easy, tried and true, mm-hmm. old school method. The other way is obviously Kvike, which 
has less control restraints than even the hybrid. As long as you're saying over 70, yeah. Yeah, as long as you just keep it warm. And it's a lot easier to keep something warm than to keep it cool. Yeah, like you said, heating pad. You can wrap it in a heating pad. Yeah, wrap it in a heating pad. An eBird controller is thirty bucks. It's not like it's super expensive to get there. So keeping things warmer is you 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 don't have to have a whole fridge or anything like that. You could just you Your know. Garage, I mean, a lot of people use garages. They're eighty degrees. Yeah, in the summer, just throw it in the garage, right? you I, I can tell you, my garage is hot as hell in the summer. And then you you also have the pressurized fermenter, and a great way to do that would be a spunding valve with a corn and keg, and, and that's also an easy way to get into it. And really, these are all ways without having to build an entire huge fermentation chamber and be able to get these lager-like styles of beer. And Go I think personally, own. the warm lagers and the Quebec pseudo-lagers are the closest you're going to get to a real lager. Yes. If you're I making agree. you know steam beers and Kolsch's and you know, cream ales, they're great, but they they taste distinctly different, more different to me than the successful beers uh lager yeast at room temperature or pseudo like uh, lagers that are made well i i agree they they <laughs> kind they still have that ale flavor it's, it's hard to explain yeah. but there's there's just a, a bit of flavor in ale that i i want to say it's it there's just an ester in there that is ale and yeah to me like especially with the uso5 you almost get like a very light like stone fruit like peach kind of ester yep like no matter what it always seems to be there and you always know that you used uso5 kind of American and stuff. And, and the both of us have used so much SO5. I think it's like, I, I almost feel like every beer I've made for like a couple of years was like, oh, that's just the flavor of SO5. Like that. Because it's clean. I mean, it's yeah. always known for being clean, clean, clean. But if you actually just use two row and like 30 IBUs of like noble hops, you taste that little peach ester. You don't, you don't taste it when you're making an IPA or a brown ale or so on. You taste it when you're, you know, 30 IBUs or less with just two row kind of, kind of grain bill. Yep, exactly. And that's the distinct flavor of like a blonde ale, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what I think of when I think of that. Yeah, and the, so so and the, and those are really the the ways we would do it. I, I do want to break into a, a bit of another subject because you and I have been talking a lot and we've been talking about doing a new segment on the show. And I, I'm thinking I'd, I'd li- like to maybe try for it to be a monthly segment. And so we're going to pitch it out to some of the listeners here on Homebrewing DIY as something that we might be able to do. And and kind of the idea that we were thinking is that we wanted to do a bit more of how do, how do homebrewers hold up to some of the styles that are classic examples? I know that personally, I've tried to make beers that are held up to a classical example and I, I I gotta admit I'm I can't do it. I every time I make a beer and think, man, this is a really great example of this style, and then I go and drink the classic example, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time the, the classic example is just a better beer. And if you did it blind, it's to me always kind of stands out, right? Like you like like example would be uh, I'll use an example. We did a we did a pilsner tasting at your house pre-covid god i miss the days when we could have 20 <laughs> beers with like 10 dudes and just you know have a really inside cool of a house yeah. inside of a house <laughs> and, and not have it be the the like we're all going to get sick from it but the idea is that we did a pilsner tasting where we tasted like 20 pilsners and we threw a couple homebrews in there and they just stood out like you knew the homebrew right it it, it had that's when i did that blonde one too i did it with uso5 so obvious 
Yeah, so obvious, right? And so the idea for me is more of we want to kind of put out there to homebrewers that are listening to this show, we'd like to see how homebrewers can hold up to some classic examples. So think of it as like kind of like Iron Chef of Beer, and the classic example is the Iron Chef, right? And so what we'd like to do is maybe recruit some brewers, and you could just email me at, at podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer, and we can organize it. But the idea would be we'd like you to like we'll we'll figure out logistics to get me and Ryan and maybe another BJCP judge a beer and here in the Colorado area. So then it's just like, you know, we ship it to one place and I can drop them off. And then what we want to do is kind of do a beer tasting here on the show. And we'd make an entire episode out of that beer tasting where we take a classic example of that beer, the actual classic example, let's say it's American pale ale. We would taste it against the Sierra Nevada or whatever the classic American pale ale is. Especially if it's a clone or something. Someone yeah. Yeah. Clone well, us here in Nevada. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get the exact clone. We'll get that beer. We'll, we'll get it and we'll, uh, try it side by side. Yeah. Try it side by side, but we try it blind, right? The idea yeah. is that like, and, and then we, we sit down and we say, all right, this is the best beer of the two. Can you beat the iron chef of beer or the classic example? Can you beat the classic example? And, uh, you know, Give give you some prizes and some stuff like that. I think that would be kind Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. I, I, if people don't want to, if people don't want to use your names, that's okay too. I know some people might be, you know, a little reluctant, but don't worry. You're not expecting the homebrewer to win very often. Just like the Iron Chef show, you know, most people did beat Bobby Flay. Um, but I think it'd be fun to dive into the beers, talk about them. You know, you could send the recipe along so we can talk about it afterwards as well. But it would just be fun to dive into some beers and compare them to commercial examples. Uh, I I completely agree. And and to me it's like the commercial example is always we whenever we do big beer tastings, we always throw a commercial example in the mix is the uh uh I, I would call it the standard bearer. And then we even if we have fifteen of them and it, it's funny we did it, as a group, we did a big tasting where we did all Trappist ales, and of course what beer was the best? It was the commercial example of a Trappist ale, right? So it, great examples were in that tasting. But and it was all homebrew with like one or two trappists thrown in there that were commercial, and the commercial examples just stood out. And so for me, it's like I would love to see how we can get homebrewers, and if a homebrewer feels that they can take the challenge, we can do it. That being said, for anybody that does it, I'd be willing to throw you a a, a free gift from some of our sponsors. I I still have some some stuff laying around that that some of our sponsors have given us. And I, I'd, I'd like to throw those as prizes for participating. And so if you're interested, I'd like you to head over to homebrewingdiy.beer. You can just hit the contact us tab and, and fill out that form. Or you can just shoot me an email at podcast at homebrewingdiy. And either way, I'll get the message and we can figure out the logistics. And so I wanted to throw that out there. And so I want to know which one of you brewers is going to be the first one to send us one. And we'll we'll figure it out. So love to get some feedback on that. It's a high bar, but it can be uh, it can it can happen. I've had homebrewers that were better than the commercial example. Um, you got to remember, commercial examples have advantages, lack of oxygen, and they brew the same recipe over and over and over, and they can tweak it. But there's some disadvantages too because they have to lay a cost of goods. So they might end up using you know Mount Hood instead of Hollertown Middle through and. Sometimes a really good batch of Hollertown Middle Fruit is going to taste better in a certain beer that way. So the uh, home brewer has the advantage of not caring about the exact cost of every single pint. Um, so 
we might see some homebrewers win. In my opinion, we will if enough people enter. And uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, and I, I also will throw out there that uh, I've never won. I, I I would consider myself a mediocre brewer I and, and, a, and a good drinker. But it's one of those things. I, I feel like I'm a good podcaster and an okay there you brewer. Go. <laughs> I, I have won some medals, you know. You're certainly a fine brewer. I'm a fine brewer. I, I make fine beer. But I, I wouldn't say that, like, there, there are brewers around me that make much better beer than me. But the point is, you know, that I, I know where I stand. <laughs> and I admit to it. But, I you know, there, there are home brewers out there, and I want to call it, that make great beer, amazing beer. And do it, sure. like, you know, we could use Dan as an example. Worked at a brewery. Yeah is crushing these pseudo loggers over and over and over again. I mean, yeah, Jim, Jim Spalding's best beers uh, can stand up and even be better than some of the examples. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the idea is that there are home brewers around me that make amazing beers and I'm, and I'm jealous of their style and, but they put a lot more work into it than I do. So I will throw that out there too. They don't have podcasts. They don't. And this is also a lot of work. So, you know, uh, Patreon guys helps. And then, <laughs> and uh, other than that, uh, yeah, we'll we'll wrap up this week's episode. We'll definitely have you back. Check out Ryan's article due in the. I think it'll be out in February. Okay, so do probably I think it's this. Yeah, this I forget which issue it is, but I think it'll come out in February. And then uh, I'm doing the big feature on the Kavai Clean beers, and then uh, someone's doing an article where they fermented with a bunch of different bike strains, uh, same fest beer recipe. They're going to compare those. So there's going to be more than one Kavike article in that Symergy issue, so it'll be really cool. It'll probably be an entire Kavike issue, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least I just know of my article and then that other article, but they're, I mean, he said he wants to have kind of a theme, so I'm guessing there'll be at least two, maybe three or four, depending. Yeah, so, you know, keep an eye out for that uh, Zymergy issue to get Ryan's uh, article excited about that. I know that uh, Ryan's chomping at the bit to write a book, and uh, when he does that, we'll definitely have him back on the show and push that, and we'll have him back on the show many other times. Cause, awesome. We'll cause, see how long COVID lasts. Yeah, we'll see how long COVID. Just damn you, COVID. <laughs> well, hey, Ryan, thank you for coming on Homebrewing DIY yet again, and uh, look forward to having you back on the show. Thanks, Coulter. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Ryan for taking the time to come on this week's show. As always, it's super informative. I always learn a ton when I talk to Ryan, and I also have a really good time when I brew with Ryan. We have a good time. So, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You can always leave us feedback by heading over to homebrewingdiy.beer and filling out the contact form. You can also send me an email to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. We will read your feedback on the show. We usually do that towards the end. I just didn't have any emails this week, so, you know, they come in phases. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY. <laughs>